Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I own it. I did it. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy, and today our guest is Shelly Ann Mackay. Living life in the fast lane while working in the entertainment industry meant Shelly Ann's norm was a work hard, play hard world. You want me to come where there isn't any booze or drugs? Don't invite me, was her motto. This plus a lifetime of disordered eating behaviors led her to a crisis of health that would nearly take her life, but thankfully instead led her to a healing path. Now, nine years sober, Shelly Ann devotes her life to helping other women overcome the brokenness that leads to self-destruction. Shelly Ann, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, we found each other online. We're both um, people that have blogs and have helping, um, have uh, given our, our time to help other people. And it was really interesting to cross paths because we're both Canadian. There's not too many of us up here that are doing this. Yes, yeah, woohoo, Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, we always like to start by hearing your story, and um, uh, you have you have a long story. I mean, your your beginnings go way back. So, take us back to the beginning of your relationship with alcohol and how things unfolded for you over the years. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for even just giving me the opportunity to share my story. Um, and I'm hoping that something I share resonates with somebody out there or, or helps support somebody in, on their quest for some recovery. When I look back to, you know, when I first started, I mean, I guess for my situation, it's like, it's like a triple addiction in a way because it started off really young with food and then over the years went into the alcohol and the drugs. And, and then once I obtained some recovery with the alcohol and the drugs, the, the food stuff resurfaced and, um, when I look back, I think it was around five years old that my first incidences started happening with food. You know, I, I had an early recollection of being in the classroom and recess was about to happen and I would find excuses to stay back in class and ramsack everybody's lunches and steal all the cupcakes and cookies. <laughs> and uh, it's not that I didn't have them, but for some reason I just felt like I needed more comfort. I needed more of whatever. And then I don't really have any recollection of stuff, you know, until with food anyways, until later on in my years when I was drinking more so. And I started drinking and using drugs, I guess, around 11 years old. And I was in the bar for the very first time at 12. I I was a, a mature 
looking teen, so I was able to get under the the radar at the time in terms of the uh, drinking limits. And I continued to drink and use drugs, you know, until nine years ago. So basically, I had 35 years of constant being either, you know, wasted out of my face due to drugs or alcohol or a combination of the two. And when I look back to like my life and my, you know, my upbringing with my parents, I mean, I did come from a middle class home, my parents both worked very hard. So it wasn't like, you know, I came from a place of poverty or the other extreme. It was pretty normal in some ways. But my parents did have me very young. Like my mom was 19. My dad was 20. So they still liked to party. And so I, I, I can recall a lot of parties in the household and how that, you know, it was like every Friday friends showed up with cases of beer and they would party all weekend long until, you know, Sunday night. And that often meant a lot of people, you know, staying over and faces. I don't know. It just seemed like our household was always in party mode. And, um, So I guess, you know, there became a day, too, where I just started drinking with them. And I guess, you know, their their motto at the time was, well, it's probably better that I drank with them than out on the street somewhere. And at least that they knew where I was. But um, in hindsight, not so sure that was such a great idea. But um, I think when I look back to it, I think emotions played a huge role in, you know, why I ended up the way that I ended up. I mean, I think my parents loved me, but I think that, you know, you almost don't know what you don't know. And when it comes to parenting, we don't get a manual and instructions. And so if emotions are something that, you know, when you were growing up or in your own households that you weren't, you know, familiar with how to identify them and cope with them and navigate them, then I think that those are challenging for everybody. And so, you know, I cannot recall, you know, being told to stop crying and not being a baby or, you know, suck it up and, you know, things like that, or, you know, being told not to be angry and things like that. And, and now when I look back, I see that, you know, that, that just wasn't probably really all that healthy for me in terms of learning how to navigate my emotions. And, um, and then I, I guess, you know, junior high school, I mean, that's a time when everybody just wants to be accepted. You want to be with the cool kids. And so I did a lot of things to, I guess, fit in and, be considered one of those cool kids and I, I definitely was a bit of a rebel and a risk taker and and then through into high school I continued using drugs and alcohol then and again I don't know what it, there was always this sort of like deep feeling inside and you know it's something that I still grapple with today is feeling like I'm different or like I just don't fit in with with everybody else um, and I think that's where drugs and alcohol you know they, they sort of or I thought that they made that, I don't know, that feeling go away or they just made it easier. I don't know. Maybe it was like a liquid courage or, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. And, you know, when you were high or you were, you were drunk or whatever, you know, you just sort of felt like you were invincible and that you could do anything and that, you know, you fit, you fit in. So then, then I went on to university and I feel like it just sort of went deeper. I mean, I did leave at 17. I, I just felt like I had a really, challenging relationship with my parents as a teen there was a lot of conflict I didn't like the rules you know those sorts of things so I saw an opportunity to go off to university at 17 and of course I picked program and a course that was not offered in my own hometown so that I would have to go away but that was you know I don't know if that was a good thing either because at 17 you know I I had never lived on my own and 
now I wasn't only on my own, but I was on my own in the United States, living in a totally new country, um, in an apartment for the first time in my life. And I ended up making a lot of really great friends, some of which even included people who were, you know, involved with the motorcycle community and great folks. But, you know, I mean, it's just a completely edgy kind of crazy lifestyle in some ways. And, and I love that. And I don't know if I was attracted to that because I knew it would also piss off my parents or what, but it, <laughs> you know, it, um, it was, um, you know, but it, it was an interesting, um, an interesting part of my life anyways. And then I did end up dropping out of university and um, went on to get married really young. We drank like crazy together and we, you know, used drugs and we grew in marijuana and all that sort of stuff. And needless to say, that marriage failed. Uh, you know, I was in my 20s at the time. And and then it just seemed like I, I continued with this series of like what I'll call life-sucking relationships where I was always like caretaking and it seemed like, a, you know, codependency was a big thing for me. It's uh, it's kind of just what I knew. I mean, as a child, you know, even in, you know, probably 12 and under, because I was in a household where my family was drinking to me alcohol, I often stepped up to the plate to take care of things with my sisters, like getting them to ring at games or making them breakfast in the morning and, you know, things like that. And um, so when I look back, to some of those relationships that I ended up in later, you know, some of those were very abusive and emotionally tumultuous relationships. Some even became physically abusive. And I often stayed trying to work things out and fix things, but eventually I just, I seemed to always be the one to walk away. At least, you know, some point I I realized like, hey, this just isn't good enough for me. And and I did move on. Um, But it seemed like it was always people who on the surface, these men, seemed really strong but you know once you got to know them you know they really didn't even know how to truly take care of themselves never mind a woman and so sometimes when I look back now I see like it was just two broken people who were really trying to be one one whole one and I don't know that that's necessarily the best scenario um so I spent a lot of years of people pleasing and putting my own desires on the back burner and doing you know everything for everybody else and it just always seemed like there you know what I did was never enough. And so I was always looking for that approval and um, accolades. And then that's when I began. It was about 1998 and I started working in the entertainment industry. And I, so I was working as a film and television producer, but then also on the side, I was managing a recording artist and talk about access to drugs and booze. I mean, it was just everywhere, you know, backstage, all the parties and, you know, it's it's just it was everywhere so you automatically just used it it seemed like and well, that's what I did anyway so so I, I always say I was kind of living the high life quite literally and I spent I was and I would also consider myself to be a functioning addict alcoholic because although I was using all those years and I was going on no sleep and working myself to death I think you know, I, I, I worked hard. I made things happen. I remember doing million dollar deals and feeling like nobody knew what was really going on inside of me. And at one point I actually worked myself to exhaustion, like real physical exhaustion, landed in the hospital and I was admitted for about a month. And then was during that time that I was forced through a medical, uh, supervised detox basically. And I'm sure, many of your listeners can, you know, have been to something very similar in terms of withdrawal and 
and puking your guts out and hallucinating and sweating. And I was just so sick from that withdrawal. And, and then it, it did get easier, but then, um, so a month I was hospitalized, I was well enough and released, but then coping on the outside, like just being detoxed wasn't enough. I still just didn't know how to live life on life's terms. And I, I didn't have the proper coping skills or the uh, strategies, you know, that I needed or the tools. So I said that I was the queen of queen, queen of relapse and found myself back in it so many times. And I just, I couldn't imagine life without booze or drugs. And, you know, I just the thought of going somewhere where that wasn't present, it just had no interest to me. So seeing my life without it just seemed impossible. And so I just continued to use whatever I wanted and whatever. And then I, I landed in the hospital again. And I remember it was right around my birthday. And he had said, you know, if you don't change your life, and I was 38 at that time, he said, you know, you're not going to see your next birthday. And I just remember seeing him looking over my face and I thought, wow, this guy's like actually serious. Like he's not just telling me this. And so for whatever reason, I decided to listen to that. And that's when I started the path of recovery again. And I, I just quit everything at once, smoking, drinking, drugs. I just, I knew that I couldn't do one thing without the other because it just sort of all went hand in hand for me. And and then I started to learn healthier ways to manage my emotions and stress and you know, through the use of connecting with different professionals and community groups and things like that. And I learned how to develop a voice for myself and my own needs. And I think learning how to say no to things and be okay with that was a very big stepping stone for me there. And um, about, I'm going to say almost two months into my recovery, I met my current husband who was 25 years sober and he inspired me. I thought, you know, if he could do it, then I could do it. And so he's been an incredible support through the journey. And, and, you know, there, when there's moments that I'm feeling like things are really slippery for me, because I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's still days where it's like, Oh, I could just go and use, I wish I could say that, you know, I never craved or I never thought about it ever again. I can say that that has diminished substantially, but it's still there. And so it's in those moments, you know, when tough life gets tough or you get Delta, a crappy set of cards or whatever that, you know, that those ideas surface. But then I sort of try to revert back to, Hey, I have some tools and some things that I could use here to keep me, you know, on the right path. And, and it, and then once I seemed to start to get some, some good recovery days under my belt, which I, I mean, those first few days felt like, years I mean it, every hour of sobriety or being clean it just I could just it was like I, I almost see like in the movies you know the clock ticking and the hand moving it was just like mm-hmm. I was just mm-hmm. trying to count down the time you know and um, and then that's when food sort of crept back into my life in a bad way um, I mean I think all throughout my life because I was sort of felt like I was different or I didn't fit in you know body image and my self-esteem and those sorts of things were always an issue, which probably helped drive the the desire to drink and drug and, you know, eat and whatever. But once I gave up food or gave up the booze and the drugs, then food, you know, sort of took center stage again and sugar became my best friend. And so I found myself exhibiting a lot of binging behavior. And so I would just have these like crazy binging episodes and 
feeling so out of control and just got to the heaviest weight I'd ever been. And it was at that point that I knew that, okay, there's, there's something else going on here deeper. Like I might've kicked alcohol and drugs, but why do I keep going to the food here? And what's the pull? And I knew I had really great willpower because if I could quit alcohol and drugs and smoking, why can't I quit the food stuff? You know, that just baffled me. And so I did a lot of research then about, you know, the effect of sugar on the brain and certain foods on the brain. And it's very similar. So, it, you know, I completely understand now where it comes from. But I was determined that I was going to get to the bottom of what was really driving my behavior. And, I, and that wasn't easy because it, it meant a lot of really deep internal work and learning how to identify and handle my emotions. I'm going to go back to that because now... Uh, now that's gotten easier, but back then, I mean, that was just really foreign and really uncomfortable. And so I took baby steps and with every success, I just wanted more. And so I, I began to see that living a life free from alcohol and drugs was possible and that it was actually better and that there were days and weeks and months between binge episodes, the more tools I obtained and the better I was at dealing with my emotions and, um, you know, and that's been a, probably the last four years I've been tried all kinds of different things from, you know, diets to pills to treatment to uh, facilities to therapists and whatever. I mean, it just seemed like it felt like it was the toughest of them all, actually, in some ways to to change. And I know the insanity in my head around it was, I think, the part that I... I just wanted that to go away the most. It seemed like I'd wake up in the morning and all I could think about was what I was going to eat, where I was going to eat, what I was going to have, how much. And, you know, I was constantly the calories and the protein and the carbs. and uh, It was crazy. And it became the new obsession. And so um, I just tried a million different things <laughs> to try to change that. And I and I feel like I've grabbed grabbed pieces from here and there of what was the best and what worked. And sort of created my own program for lack of a better word there that that did work and you can't abstain from food completely so you know that's always going to be a bigger challenge I think in my eyes because as long as I abstain from alcohol and drugs 100% I won't relapse but with the food part that's tougher we got to eat every day and there's food around us all the time it seems and we live in this world of abundance so um I'd be lying if I said I didn't have, still have my moments where, you know, I'm stressed to the max and I just want chocolate. But I do figure that, you know, in terms of staying clean and sober, if having that chocolate is going to, you know, keep me from reaching for whiskey and cocaine, then that's the better choice. And <laughs> as long as I'm, as long as I'm eating that chocolate bar, you know, mindfully and with intention and, you know, it's not a binge on, you know, 25 chocolate bars. That's okay in my mind. So, um, so I've learned to just sort of, you know, look closer at what it is that I need to do and to take care of me and how to give myself some self-compassion around all of that. And, and then, you know, I, I said like I, another health scare came about in 2012 where I was diagnosed with a brain tumor that, and that was probably the time that I, I was at the, at the slipperiest in my recovery and I almost relapsed there because that was really scary. You know, I didn't know what I was going to, what I was going to be like afterwards. And, 
but um, but made it through. I had a great support team and my husband at the time and family and friends and yeah, still clean and sober and I and I made it through. So now I'm just trying to make it, you know, my mission here or my life purpose is I just want to help other women who have gone through these same struggles and feel just as frustrated, you know, as I did. And they do. I think a, a lot of women are, I mean, things just kept coming at you, right? I mean, after all that, to face a brain tumor on top of that, you must have felt like, really, God? <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, after everything I did. I've been through now, this too. Uh, how strong do I need to be? Um, <clears throat> but that's life, right? I mean, life really does continue to challenge us. And a, a lot of women that I talk to struggle with both addiction and disordered eating of some type, and often it's undiagnosed and untreated or self-diagnosed and self-treated. What do you think is the the link between the two things? In terms of why we go to food? Yeah, why, why do you think that so many women struggle with both eating disorders and alcohol? Are, there, are they both addressing some same need in our lives, do you think? Mm. Well, I sort of think, I guess my own opinion on that is that I think that all of these things, whether it's, you know, whether our addiction is to, you know, alcohol, drugs, food, shopping, gambling, whatever, I think it's really a coping mechanism. And I think that um, if we, and I always say living life on life's terms, when we don't know how to do that and we don't have the skills and the tools to know how to do that and to take care of ourselves first, then I think that we go to those other things and food is just, it's, it's so readily available. I mean, we all have to eat and, you know, we can't all necessarily afford to go shopping and buy Gucci bags and whatever, but we can't afford, you know, six loaves of bread. <laughs> so it's, just, it's easy. You know what I mean? It's just, it's an easier. I do. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's so much. And I mean, in terms of the scientific evidence around that, I mean, there is, there is proof that, you know, there's a lot of food items that we consume that have the same chemical reaction in the brain as as um, as cocaine does. So it it definitely tap, taps into that you know sort of pleasure center. And and I think that um, as women, we just tend to give so much of ourselves to everything and all that we do that when we find you know when we're so depleted, you know, you're gonna go looking for you know, ways to, I guess, almost um, like to numb that out. And if, and if that's done, Mm -hmm. you know, with candy or, you know, pasta or whatever, you know, then that seems like an okay solution because everybody eats. Right. Yeah. It feels like it's the quick fix, right? Like I think we are so busy giving away every bit of energy that we have that we'll take whatever quick fix we can get and um, not really realizing Mm -hmm. that, destruction that it can play in our life and I, you know I often encourage people when they're trying not to drink to use sugar um, to nix those alcohol cravings because it does it can at least for a, a mm-hmm. large portion of the population it can um, soothe that pleasure reward pathway that's feeling irritated and calling out for um, something to soothe it. Um, But what Mm -hmm. do you think? Does sugar have a place in recovery? Do you think 
Um, how do you how do you recover from two things at the same time? Do you address one and then the other, or do you do you feel that the mm. best way is more of a holistic approach? Well, I think a holistic approach that honors our body, mind, and spirit is always the best. And I think that there's no clear cut answer for everybody because I think every person and everybody's you know recovery journey it, it is different and. You know, so I think that, um, you know, in my own instance, it was like I knew that I had to do drugs and alcohol together, and I just sort of felt like it was the bigger, the bigger battle that I had that I was ready to take on. And then once that was good, I figured, you know, like I, I wasn't gonna, you know, go into a coma because I ate too much chocolate. Well, I guess if I was diabetic, that might be the case, but. You know, I, I guess I just felt like it was the, the risks to me from a health perspective were lesser with food so that I would tackle it next. And so right. that's just what worked for for myself. But I would hate to say that, oh, you know, you should do it in this order because for some people, you know, that could change. And maybe, maybe the food is I – because mean, our weight and our body image and stuff can also drive people – to, to use other substances to numb how they feel about their body and how they feel about their weight. And um, so they kind of, so I feel like they kind of go hand in hand and it's just a very different path for, for every person. I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it does. I think it does. And it, the other thing that occurs to me as you're saying that is that when I got sober, I really believed um, I fooled myself into believing that my life was perfect, except for my drinking. And that was only because I did not acknowledge that I had disordered eating or that I have a OCD um, uh, behavior that, you know, I just, I pretended those things weren't real. They, no one else knew about them. So to me, they weren't real. And, um, and I also didn't see them as connected in any way. Like I felt like I was managing those because no one knew about them. And it wasn't until I really mm-hmm. started addressing some of the codependency that was behind my drinking that I started to realize, Oh, these other things aren't because I'm an inferior person and they're not separate at all from the drinking. They're all connected. Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was a big Mm -hmm. aha moment for me. So just as you say that, I realized, you know, I couldn't have addressed them simultaneously because they really didn't even reveal themselves to me um, all at the same time. I just wasn't used yes, to being that honest about anything. Yeah, well, and I think that, I don't know, I'm also a firm believer that, you know, that things will come up for us at the time when we're when we're able to handle and address and deal with those specific things. And so, um, I mean, I have clients who I've supported as well who, you know, we tackle one issue and then, like you say, something else kind of rears its ugly head and, and but that's okay because now you know this other thing is taken care of and it's been addressed and now you can move on to the next and and I, I sort of feel like whether it's food or alcohol or drugs I, I the way I look at them now is I as I look at them is like the symptom they're not the actual cause it's like the, they're the they're the symptom or what we're going to to cope with what's under the surface I believe there's a lot under the surface and that when you when you deal with what's under the surface, that it makes going for those or reaching for those things less likely. So if we mm-hmm. know how to express our needs, if we know how to say what we need, if we 
know how to tell somebody when they're making us angry or doing something that we dislike or if we can say that we're exhausted and that we can't do no more then our then our desires to go to those other things are are lessened and i often find that you know the more that you sort of cope with or or address the stuff that's under the surface that that other stuff just becomes less and less powerful and i've noticed mm-hmm. that especially with the food stuff in my life is i almost use food as as a sign now that it's like it's my warning signal that things are not going right or that something's wrong. So like if all of a sudden I'm finding like, Oh, like I'm just wanting to eat like popcorn and popcorn and popcorn, you know, whatever. I just go, wait a minute. What's, what's going on here? Like, is there something? And I take a moment and I kind of go inside and I just sort of, I do like what I call a body scan. And I think about like, where, how am I feeling? What's going on inside of me? And, you know, Am I feeling bored? Am I tired? Am I angry? Am I upset? Am I happy? Am I, you know, because I mean, even happiness can be a trigger for some things. So, um, <laughs> you know, when we celebrate, we go to food, right? I mean, right. so those um, champagne. And so then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then you sort of go to, okay, wh- what's going on inside? And, and you get better and better, I think, at it over time as identifying what's going on inside and, and making that connection. And I call it almost, I call it pushing the pause button and, and that we sort of learn how to be in charge of our decision-making around drugs, alcohol, food, whatever, fill in the blank by being able to press that pause button. And that's where the whole mindfulness stuff that I've learned uh, has been an amazing coping strategy because until I really learned how to be present in my body and present in this moment, I I had no idea that I was on autopilot and that things were triggering my emotions and my feelings and whatnot. And then I was just reacting and reaching for things. But now so I tell me about that. that you mentioned that you mentioned mindful eating. Tell me about that. How does that work? Well, mindfulness. I mean, it's a term you hear thrown around so much these days. But in in its simplest form, it's really about being in this moment. So, I mean. For a simple example would be, you know, have you ever driven to work and you've gone like eight blocks and all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, I don't even remember driving that last eight blocks. Like, <laughs> it's like you're off in your mind, right? You're not really present in the car and feeling the steering wheel and seeing the vehicles and feeling the bumps in the road. You're off in your mind. And so if you were being mindful while you were driving to work, you would actually feel the steering wheel, feel the bumps in the road, feel the temperature of the warm air, you know, hitting your face. Those are, I mean, that's a, that's just an, an easy way to kind of explain it. But um, so being in your body and, and as somebody who was always going outside of my body to just detract from what I was feeling, that was a very foreign experience for me, all of a sudden learning how to be mindful. And it was like, what, you know, so, so, learning how to just be in your body that's a skill in itself and um the more that you can do that and the more that you practice that i think that that you'll just you'll just be more in charge of of how how things are in your life and so with respect to eating uh for example you know okay just even the other day you know feeling very stressed out because of my increased workload noticing that I'm going to the kitchen cupboard a lot more often. I'm not, and then I'm going there and I'm like, I'm not even hungry. Why am I wanting to go to the counter all the time to get something or the cupboard or the fridge? And, 
you know, so I let myself get away with it a few times, but, you know, but a couple hours later, I'm like, okay, this is kind of crazy. Like I'm, I'm not hungry, but yet I keep going. So what's going on here? Took a moment to sort of sit down, take a breath, notice what was going on in my body. I was like, okay, well, I'm feeling really anxiety and really stressed out right now because I feel like I can't manage all these deadlines that I got going on. And noticing that, that alone, all of a sudden it changed the desire for me to then want to eat because I knew what the, what the cause was. And so then I could now go, okay, so what's going to help me, you know, reduce the stress or change these deadlines? You know, is there something I could take off my plate? Is there something I could delegate? Is there something I could turn around and have the courage to say no to, you know? And mm-hmm. so it just, that mindful moment of sitting down, taking that breath and going, okay, what's really going on here? That's what changes it all. You know, you've, it reminds me of um, something Anne Lamott wrote. I don't know if you're familiar with Anne Lamott. She's a yeah, great Robert, she's writer great. and, yeah, hilarious. Um, just, oh, just if, listeners, yeah. if you're not familiar, <laughs> look her up because you'll love her work. And yeah. any podcast that she's on is hilarious. But she talks about yeah. um, the simple pleasures of enjoying a cool glass of water or putting on a warm pair of socks when you when you do it mindfully. Um, those are both like lovely things and they're pleasures that we skip over every day. We either chug the glass mm-hmm. of water or, you know, keep the water bottle with us and suck on it like a pacifier or, um, yep. you know, we get dressed in the morning without thinking of how lovely the sweater feels as we're putting it on or the, so those, when you're mindful, the simple things that we look over every day um, can become mm-hmm. these comforts that we're trying to shortcut and um um oh i had something brilliant to say about that but i guess i'll leave it at that because now it's gone from my mind yeah but no you're absolutely right and so mindfulness can give us clues as to decisions that we can make you know changes in our lives with but they can also be an immense sense of gratitude too right oh yeah because yeah right i think i think too yeah that when you when you when you take a moment and you're mindful about those cozy socks coming out of the dryer and going on your feet or even just whatever, um, or how delicious that that morning cup of coffee smells and tastes and feels going down into the body, being mindful of those simple pleasures is, is a way to enjoy life. And when we enjoy life more then we don't need to find other ways to fill it and or to patch over stuff. Right. I mean, a gratitude, as you know, is a big part of recovery. Huge part, yeah. So talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Gratitude? Yeah, why is, it, why is it an important part of recovery? I think it's important because I think that there's so much great stuff going on in our, in our lives. And I, I can't remember who, who it was I heard this from, but they talked about the, it's not, it's not a toothache meditation, they called it or something like that. And it was this exercise where you actually like had to turn to the person next to you and you had to talk for four minutes about all the things that were going awesome about, you know, in your life right now. And I was, I was surprised at how difficult that that was to do because I think by default as humans, we right away want to talk about all the things that are going horrible or all the challenges or what's not working or, you know, and so like I, I find that if I start my day off with gratitude, that my whole course of my day has changed. I mean, when you see that we have everything that we need already, don't need anything more, I think it just puts us in that right frame of mind. And so, like, I literally, I have, like, a 
like a dry erase whiteboard that I bought from like the dollar store. And every morning I put on there 10 things that I'm grateful for. And that could be as simple as waking up in a house that has heat to, you know, an amazing connection that I made with some person, um, you know, or, you know, so it could be as simple as that or as complicated as, you know, a major accomplishment with respect to my work. But I, I try love to come that. up with at least 10. That's great. 10 is a lot, but that's that's great. And that's something you could do just in the morning while your coffee's brewing or, you know, as part of your routine. You can mm-hmm. just build it into your day. I love that. Um, one of my sons yeah. um, has a an injury right now that has him basically sitting in a chair unable to move for six weeks. And Aww. the first thing I did, I went out and bought him a little um, kind of a calendar journal and and told him, three gratitudes every day. You have to do it. Um, uh, it's going to get you through this. And um, gratitude is so powerful and, and so overlooked. I mean, I think alcohol mm-hmm. tells us, the, the throws a pity party for us every day and tells us that it's the only way out. And um, gratitude really is the antidote to that. So I love that you do that. That's a wonderful awesome. idea. And I so, think that three is a great number to start at because you're right. Ten is quite a bit, but it's interesting because I, I forced myself to do the ten because then it could even be as simple, simple as like the slippers on my feet or whatever. But it just makes yeah. me see that, yeah, you know, even the small things I'm grateful for because there are people who don't have slippers for their feet. Their feet. You know, well, I'll so, tell you what I've actually um, done, and this, I'm not being competitive with you, but I have actually done yeah, yeah. 180 gratitudes at once because uh, I have a um, a few different malas that friends have made for me, and they're they're prayer beads where you typically will say a mantra and go around the, the this string of beads and repeat the mantra over and over again, it. and I have instead. Um, made the occasional practice of using it for gratitude. So if, especially oh, I if I'm that. really down. So I go around and each beat I touch and I have to think of something that I'm grateful for. And so, you know, by the last 50 beads, I'm like, I'm grateful my t- for my teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm grateful I don't have cowlicks, you know. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. You kind of, you just, you start reaching for things, but it does make you realize uh, all the good things in our lives um, yeah. and yeah. that we take for granted. So uh, I love it. I love that practice. I want, speaking yeah. of things you're and grateful even with for, the... I'm oh, going to jump go on. Let's, I, I just want to hear about your perspective um, of speaking of things that you're grateful for about your husband and living now with a sober person versus living the party life. Um, you probably, you know, 15 years, would have never believed that you would willingly give up your old life for the life you have now. But let me just ask that. Are you bored? <laughs> Is your life boring? No, not a, <laughs> not a, not a bit. Actually, like, I think my life is better now than it's ever been. And I, I think like, you know, I mindfully savor every moment uh, as best as I can now and I love the fact that I actually remember everything that's beautiful that we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no true. more, you know, like, yeah. So, no, I, and you're right. I mean, at the time, I could have never imagined giving that up. And I mean, a, a, a redesigning my life, which is what I had to do in my very early stages of recovery. I mean, I couldn't just go hang out at the bar with people and things like that. And 
And uh, I had to do whatever it took to keep myself safe and to, to get the hours of sobriety and, and um, being clean and sober under my belt. But now over the years, I mean, I think that I can just, and, you know, I can stay up on the dance floor all night long. And I think people had a harder time adjusting to me not drinking than I had to me not drinking or using drugs. You know, like people would be like, I can't believe you're dancing all night long and all you've had to drink is water, you know, and just, right. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need that stuff to have a great time. I'm wild and crazy enough just as it is, just as the real me. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I've, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I've, I do have this sort of like safety security blanket thing of like when I'm out mixing at like, you know, events and things like that, I think it's a thing to keep myself safe is I do tend to try to always have like a glass of water or something in my hand because I don't know what it is about that. It just makes me feel safe having that. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I have a great time. We go out and do everything and more. And because we have not been wasting money on all this alcohol and drugs anymore, we have the money and the freedom to be able to do other things with our life and travel and go on new adventures and, you know, explore things that I never would have thought that I would have done in the past. And, um, and I think that's one of the real gifts of, of being clean and sober, you know, mm-hmm. is, um, yeah. And I, I seem to like love to try to do new things too. you know, push myself a little to, you know, like I never thought I would go snorkeling or be in the ocean and go see all that kind of stuff. And I, and I, you know, something that I just, let's just do it, you know, bucket list, I guess there's something to be said for having a bucket list. And now I'm convinced that I'm going to, you know, do the things that I want to do today. I'm not going to put them off till tomorrow and just going to try to live life till its fullest. And, you know, I think because of the scares that I did have in my life, I don't want to wait and take chances anymore because tomorrow might never come. So I want to, I want to live life to the best of my ability and to the fullest. And you, you not only are living your own life very wholeheartedly, but you're helping other women do the same thing. So tell me about, um, you, you've gotten your education and you've, your life's work now is helping other women um, free themselves of, of what holds them back. So tell me a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, and I'd love to. Basically, I mean, I knew that there was something missing in the work that I was doing before. I just never felt this, like, I was like, I just didn't feel, you know how you just sort of feel like you're not doing what you were put on the earth to do? And, or Mm -hmm. you have that question in your mind, like, why am I really here? What's my purpose? Well, I feel like that, that all kind of unfolded in a, in a strange sort of way. You know, I was off healing from that surgery and I, and as much as that was a, a horrible, crazy circumstance in my life. It was actually a gift in a lot of ways. And during that time of recovery, I had the opportunity to meet um, a woman that changed my life. And, and um, she, she was my coach. And in doing some work with her, uh, we uncovered the fact that, you know, and I, I really have this deep desire to help other women. And I think that, you know, I've gone through these trials and tribulations and we've just briefly touched on some of the stuff here, but I mean, I think I'm a survivor in a lot of ways with a lot of different things. And um, I think I bring a really strong sense of understanding and compassion around a number of different subjects and without judgment. And so I decided to become uh, an accredited and certified coach through the Coaches Training Institute and uh, through the International Coaching Federation, which 
was a huge commitment, uh, a lot of hours of work and travel and study and whatnot, and it was truly life-changing for me. And in doing that, I've been doing um, one-on-one coaching and group coaching with with women, um, primarily around the topics of, you know, dysfunctional and disordered eating, addictions recovery, and um, and a lot of depression and anxiety, um, stress, burnout related to work and, and family. Uh, so those sort of areas are the main ones, and that happens. We do that usually by telephone, so people like that because they don't have to, you know, get out, get out and get to an office and whatnot. They can do it from the convenience of their own home, in their pajamas with their favorite cup of tea if they want. Um, once the kids are in bed, or in the morning when the kids are off to school, or or whatnot. So it's at a time that works for them, and and yeah, we take the time to really talk about what are their dreams what's keeping them from obtaining those dreams. And it's my, my role is to help people design and create and build those lives that they want to live and have. And it's incredible to see people do that. I I mean, that's just so rewarding, but at the same time, I think it's great because it also keeps me moving in that same direction as well. and want to be an example of how that we can live those lives that we want People right away think, oh, you know, I'm too late or too, I'm too old now to do this. You know, at 40, 50 years old, you know, who, there, it's never too late. You know, I have clients who are 60-something <laughs> and completely changing their lives. Or, you know, I have uh, some clients who've just entered retirement and, you know, they're like, what am I going to do with my life now? And now we've managed to tap into some really deep stuff and find out what really resonates for them at the core and aligns with their values and their beliefs and and they said they feel more alive now than they did in their 20s and 30s. So I think that we can identify, yeah, what really gives us that, like what really lights us up, I call it in a way. Like, then, and you start living your life that way. It's incredible how healing it is and how fulfilling it is. And, um, and I think that that is actually a great tool for maintaining sobriety or dealing with our addictions, um, whatever they may be, because when your life is freaking awesome, you just, you tend to not need or want to go to those other things because you don't need it. (laughs) Now tell me about the Mm -hmm, retreat mm -hmm. that you created. Uh, May 2018, you have a retreat in um, British Columbia. So American listeners, your dollar goes a long, long way when you come to Canada. (laughs) That's Um, right. That's right. Tell us about the retreat. Oh, it's going to be an amazing transformational experience. So it's designed for women. It's going to be a smaller, intimate group, about, you know, maybe 30 women. And um, it's it's going to be led by uh, a colleague of mine and myself, uh, who she's a mindful teacher and – specializes in mindful-based stress reduction, and then I have the mindful eating facilitator um, license as well. And so together we have combined an entire six days that is going to be uh, a really deep dive into what is driving disordered eating and or patterns of dysfunctional relationships with food and figuring out what's really below the surface in a safe and I'm going to say compassionate and supported environment 
and amongst a community of an, a, a, other women who want to do the exact same. And that in itself is really quite amazing. I mean, I know you said you've been on retreats before too, and those people that you meet on retreat, I mean, I have bonds with those people that have lasted years and oh, lifelong friends. It, it's soul sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing like, like unplugging from daily crazy life. I mean, we're all running on overdrive. So unplugging and just truly escaping to a beautiful place. I mean, BC is beautiful, the mountains, and we're in the forest because I believe that there's something to be said about connecting with nature when it comes to healing at the core. And so this is going to be uh, an opportunity for these women to be supported by um, certified, you know, coactive coaches who want to see nothing but the best for those women and um, who understand, you know, what, what everybody's going through and how difficult that it can be when food is the challenge every day. And that, that um, I'm just going to say that insanity that can be going on in your mind. And so want to be able to help women to walk away from that feeling like they, they have a glimpse of what is truly possible for them and they've experienced it there and they know exactly what they're what they need to do to to completely change their lives and have maybe even started on that process while they're there and an opportunity to truly connect with their body and their heart and their mind and their spirit at a, at a completely different level than what they've ever done before now just to be clear you mentioned um that it's in the forest and and in a natural setting but this is a resort in the forest you're not like camping under trees or anything this is ah this yes is... <laughs> thank you for saying that yes no this is all about i mean we didn't go five star here but this is considered to be a four star resort um there'll be a chef who's going to be preparing beautifully nutritious and delicious meals for everybody you're not going to be put on no diet when you come here i mean because I am anti-diet all the way. And I believe that, you know, our bodies are are the source of great wisdom when it comes to what we need to eat and how to eat and whatnot. And so it's going to be just beautifully prepared, nutritious food, and um, you'll get to just come and be taken care of. And so, yeah, not camping by any means. That's so not my style. (laughs) So So I have a link to your website um, in the program notes. So listeners, you can visit Shellyann Mackay, which uh, is spelled McKay and pronounced Mackay, um, dot com and learn more about the retreat um, and contact Shelly if that interests you because it does sound wonderful. I know you have to run, but I have one last question I want to ask you about before you go. And that is regards to what your recovery looks like today. The new recovery advocacy movement that's afoot right now really um, encourages us to use kind of a patchwork of recovery and, and approach recovery as a smorgasbord of tools and to to take what we need and what we can use to um, heal ourselves. So tell me about your recovery toolbox. What tools do you use? Mm, What a great question. My recovery toolbox. Well, I'm not afraid to put any tools in that toolbox. I'm I'm pretty open and willing to try different things, but I would say that right now um, mindfulness and meditation is a huge part of my recovery toolbox. I surround myself with people who, are also in recovery um, or stand what that means and are supportive of that and it's supportive of my choices. So other friends who are, who are also familiar with the 12 step 
Um, I still do occasional 12-step meetings or, or provide service in a 12-step capacity. Um, I'm very spiritual, so sometimes that includes prayer. Um, and I think self-compassion is probably my biggest tool next to mindfulness uh, because I've learned that the kinder and gentler I am to myself, the, the easier this all becomes. Um, what else? And I mean, I'm not afraid to tap into professionals either. I mean, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, uh, counseling and therapy and coaching and that sort of thing. Um, however, currently I believe that I've, I've used those resources in the past. So now, um, you know, I have a coach myself who helps, um, helps keep me on the path and, uh, yeah, so my coach, my mindfulness, my meditation, my self-compassion, staying connected with, with folks in recovery or who are um, actively supporting that, that line of work. You're amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Um, wow. By way of farewell, do you have any words of encouragement for someone who's struggling today or who's thinking about making a change or struggling to stay mm. on the on the decision they've made. Yeah, I would say do whatever it takes to get that first 24 48 hours under your belt and if that means surrounding yourself with some folks who truly do love and want the best for you even though that's hard to believe, uh do it. Um every day gets easier. Um and life is truly more amazing without any substances. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Shelly Ann, thank you so much for being on the show today. And it's just been a pleasure getting to know you and hearing your story. And um, I'm, I so express my gratitude. You giving me yeah. Yo, thank you. It's a pleasure. And um, listeners, you can learn more about Shelly Ann at ShellyAnnMackay.com. Uh, I'm Jean McCarthy. My website is unpickledblog.com. And uh, of course, you can always reach me at thebubblehour at gmail.com. So that's it for today, everyone. Until next time, take good care. Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Weakness had on me In a dark corner is where shame lies behind We think you're strong Rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on you
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.